We were created by design. We were purposed for this time. A generation on the rise. We won't back down. Hello and welcome to the Free Mind Podcast with Seth and Never Ready. I'm Stephen Robles, and today we have a very special guest, Ryan Bomberger. He's the co-founder of the Radiance Foundation, an Emmy Award winner for his show OMX, and the author of Not Equal, Civil Rights Gone Wrong. You may have seen him on news. He was interviewed on MSNBC, and he's just all over the place. And so we're very excited to have you. Thanks, Ryan, for joining us. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got connected with Seth and Nerva? Sure. I, I grew up in a small, you know, typical American family of 15. I have six brothers, <laughs> six sisters. Uh, ten of us were adopted and we grew up on a farm in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Just love like crazy. Oh, yeah. We're diverse. We're white and black, white and black, Native American, Vietnamese, just a, a mixture of kids. Um, basically what heaven's going to look like. But my background is I'm that 1% that's used 100% of the time to justify abortion. Mm. My birth mom experienced the horror and the violence of rape, yet she was courageous enough not only to choose life, but to give me the incredible gift of adoption. So that's that's my backstory. And now I'm you know, a happily married man with four kiddos. Two of my kiddos are also adopted. And so my wife, Bethany, and I, my, my favorite woman on the planet, uh, started the Radiance Foundation 10 years ago because we wanted to engage on these really tough social issues and equip Christians to be able to to talk about these culture-shifting issues in ways that are were life-affirming and freeing for others. So that's kind of my background. And then we came across this album with these beautiful people <laughs> uh, and these voices that were just, they were just ridiculous, like Butter. My wife's from New York City. The whole, <laughs> I mean, you guys, immediately, I listen to that song, I'm like, this, who are these people? Reading just a little bit of background, but our, our family just listened to songs over and over and over again. Although I will say they misinterpreted one of the songs. Um, the, the song about brother, when I look into the face of my enemy, I see my brother. Mm -hmm. So then my sister, um, my daughters were singing that about their brothers. So they <laughs> misunderstood the song initially. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> That's an easy one to misunderstand in that context. Oh, right? yes. I was, I was trying to correct that. But then we just connected via Facebook and just found that there is just, there's a connection. There was an agreement, um, I think, with our, our passions, you know, which I think is just to embolden people. We, we want yeah. to see a, a courageous people speaking life and truth to others. And so just I, I was so thrilled to get a response from Seth on Facebook. And I just I'm just floored. I, I, I'm a singer. I'm a musician. I'm an artist. I love all these things. And there are some people whose who's anointing just breaks through. And that's how I feel about Seth and Nerva. So right here, number one man. fan. Okay. That, <laughs> we're so honored by that, man, and humbled. And we can't, we got to do the collab. You know what I'm saying? We got to hit that collab. Um, one day, man, one day. But now Soon. I heard you talk about this, Ryan, uh, and it's kind of what we, we have kind of taken a step out of our comfort zones and our uh, financial comfort zones in the past couple of years here and living the adventure of the uh, the poor artist life. Um, but I know you guys kind of stepped away from some stuff too and jumped into your ministry full time. Was that was that kind of a risk? Was it was it scary? How did that how did that go for you guys? Crazy. People thought we were out of our minds. I mean, why are you going to leave a full time job with all the security of health insurance and and all those whatever benefits? Okay. People thought we were, even some family members thought we were out of our minds. And quite honestly, 
if you're serving God, you have to be a little bit out of your mind anyway, yeah. <laughs> because I mean, but when he calls you, he's going to equip you and enable you. And so even though we were operating on one income and then I left my full-time job, we knew that we were called to start the Radiance Foundation and it's terrifying. I mean, mm. courage is a terrifying thing. Faith right. is a terrifying thing, but we're not called to be safe. I mean, we're called to be bold and courageous. And I, I thank God that we stepped out and we did this because honestly, looking back, we are, we are so much better for it. Our marriage is stronger because of it. Our kids are part of our ministry and they're understanding what it means to love people passionately, even when they hate you back. I mean, yeah, there are so many things that have come about because of this, this journey into courage. So we're, 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 we are just blessed because I mean, this is what happens when you follow God's calling. There is that blessing, um, but there are just so many residuals from that. And, you know, that those naysayers, sometimes you just got to shut them out. Mm. Man, that's so that's so true. And I love, um, you were saying this a minute ago, I'm not trying to plug one of our songs, but we wrote this song called We Won't Back Down. And it was really from the place of of feeling like, man, there's there's a real temptation even in our own hearts we were doing young adult ministry at the time and we experienced it with our with our 20 somethings as well but there's this real tendency to just kind of back down and shut up and keep your religion between your two ears and not get in the public space um, not address things because it was getting so uh, just belligerent out there and you don't you know it's like you said it courage a to quit your job and take a risk but b also to do what you're doing you're going into some some tough places and addressing some tough, incredibly tough topics. And that's why we wrote that song, just saying, man, we've we've got to lean in. We can't back down right now. We've got to lean in. This is our moment as the church. We get an opportunity to really make a difference here. And I know one of your slogans, which I love, and I hope I don't get it backwards, but you say uh, less activism, more factivism, or is it the other way around? No, you got it. That's you got right. it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that, man, because what I notice about you is you are bold, but it's like a spiritual boldness that's grounded in truth. And um, maybe maybe you can just tell us a little bit about how you got into making these presentations and, and why you jumped into that realm and then what, the, what some of the responses have been from all sides. Well, when we first started back in 2009, we knew that we wanted to kind of combine Bethany's background as a teacher. She taught for 13 years. Uh, so the educational part, and then my part as a creative professional, I worked as a creative director for about the same number of years, and just kind of combined those. And so we created these multimedia talks that covered you know, a wide variety of issues, fundamentally the issue of life, because if we can't get life right, nothing else matters. Mm. So we would talk about abortion, talk about the devastation of abortion, talk about the beauty of adoption, talk about fatherlessness, family, and the deterioration of family, free speech, religious liberty, all these issues. And so we do a lot of keynote events uh, around the world each year, about 60 or more a year in very diverse places from, you know, pregnancy center banquet to Harvard Law School to Princeton to University of Notre Dame, Penn State, Capitol Hill briefings. And the reaction is different. Um, very different. Uh, sometimes a little unexpected, but for the most part, people haven't seen these kinds of presentations. And to see... See, as Christians, sometimes we just, we don't understand. God's given us all these abilities, all these, um, all these capabilities to be able to fuse the emotional with the evidential. I mean, we have the truth from scripture and sometimes we feel like, oh, if we just, we just 
throw that out there, people are going to receive it. Well, not really. Sometimes, I mean, God gave us creativity. He is the ultimate creator. And so as a creative professional, I wanted to be able to create messaging that would resonate with diverse audiences. And I speak mm-hmm. to incredibly diverse audiences all the time. And what I found so actually shocking to me is that I would get the same sort of response from a 13-year-old that I would get from a 95-year-old, wow. even in the same presentation. And I thought there's something working here beyond just the visual. There's definitely something spiritual going on. And so when you ask about reactions, I mean, I, I go to Harvard and there's, you know, crazy protests and I'm called every four-letter word, or five-letter word, whatever other letter words you can imagine, <laughs> to my face um, wow. during the lecture. That was fun. Um, to, during the Harvard lecture, they were actually- during the Harvard lecture, wow. they yeah. some of them lost their ever-loving minds. Um, but see, understand that there's a spiritual dimension. I I don't look at it as that person's attacking me. Right. I understand that it's it's you know these are these are principalities. These are these are demonic spirits that are actually speaking um, out of brokenness mm. in these individuals' lives, and so. You know, and one of the foundational verses for our organization is First Corinthians thirteen six. It says, "Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth." And when you understand that, I mean, you're approaching these things with love, hard issues with love, but you're going to get pushback no matter what. And it's not just from pushback from you know secular audiences like at Princeton University, but it's even Christian audiences sometimes where you know. <sighs> There's, there's a lot going on in some people. Sometimes it's, it's Holy Spirit convicting them. Why haven't we engaged on this issue? Why haven't we talked about this issue? Or perhaps offense because they don't know what they don't know. And there are times, right. there are oftentimes when sometimes people in church are speaking about things. And I'm like, you, you need to take the time. You need to be intentional and understand the context of these issues. Yeah. We can't write them off. The church can't be silent about these things. So the reaction is been very different. I mean, and there are times, understand too, when you're a Christian, Christ said that we will be hated. Okay. He never said, Hey, you're going to be the popular one. People are going to love you. No, he said, you're going to be hated. Mm -hmm. So when you go into things with that sort of mentality, you're not shaken. And this is why I love that song. We won't back down because you, I mean, you talk, you say, we will not be shaken. Too many people are so easily shaken and scared away from speaking those truths that will set people free and we miss literally millions of opportunities to play a role in someone's liberation. And so, mm. yeah, the reactions have been different. They, they, we, we've gotten lots of hate. We've gotten lots of love, but in the end, the only thing that matters is that we're doing what God's called mm. us to do. Mm. So Ryan, when you, cause I, you know, Nerv and I and uh, Steven, we'll speak on some stuff. Sometimes where we're a little nervous about the crowd we're about to go in front of when you're going, getting ready to go in front of the Harvard crowd. What's your hype routine? <laughs> like, you know, as a basketball player, like I put my headphones on, I got my favorite song. We're playing a tough team. Like, how do you prepare for that? Cause I, to be honest, I haven't spoken to Harvard, but I would be, I think I'd be sick getting ready for that just because I know it's, you know, radically different point of view than, of course, uh, biblical Christianity. And you've got these people that, you know, they're they're gifted intellectually and they're they're hating what you're saying. How do you prepare for something like that? Well, just for Harvard, that particular theme, that topic was a debate with a Harvard law professor about the abortion's hugely disproportionate impact in the black community. 
And I was debating a professor who knew apparently nothing about the issue, nothing about the topic, which made it a really interesting debate. But I went into that prepared to get these incredible questions. I, I thought I'm going to get the, the most, I mean, the, the deepest philosophical, intellectual questions I've ever heard in my life, probably complete with citations. And so right. I get there <laughs> and instead, I mean, so many students who knew nothing about the issue, knew nothing about wow. Planned Parenthood, nothing about the stats, just anger and vitriol and, mm. and profanity. And I thought, well, I overprepared for this. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it wasn't, I didn't know what to expect, but what I do go in, into all of these events and say, God, just give me the words, give me the grace. Mm. May I come across as compassionate because I'm a sarcastic person. So sometimes people, people can misread. Gift. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you. It is. But sometimes people can misread that, but it, it really is. God, just prepare me and God, please soften people's hearts so they can mm. receive this. Wow. That's really all I can do. Do you find that, so going into that situation where there was a, a gross lack of knowledge on the topic. When you actually present facts and figures that you can back up, is is it actually effective to those who are angry at your stance? Or is it, you know, really just hoping to reach the five percent that are really wondering and the ones that are just angry are, are not even listening? How how do you gauge that? I'm always reading people's faces and the reactions to things being said. And there's the juxtaposition of, for instance, no, this situation was really weird because in this lecture hall, every student had a microphone in front of them on their, oh in the desk. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> they could talk whenever they wanted to. Wow. Yeah. That made it interesting. Um, so when they're, they're yelling at me, that juxtaposition of the, 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 you know, the rant, and then I'm calmly responding, responding, you know, with with brevity and and responding with these numbers i think it was startling to some as i'm looking around and seeing the way they're reacting so i know i'm not going to reach everyone but i really believe that god was able to use me in that moment even for those who are just so radically opposed to my presence there wow. but I, I think it was just really shocking kind of to see the the fanaticism on one hand and then the, these calm, informed responses. And so for me, situations like Harvard are, are the, the Proverbs 27, 17, I think it is, the uh, iron sharpening iron. Yeah. It was that kind of experience because I want to have an answer for these questions, whether they're the, the eternal or some of the temporal stuff. I want to be that one to, to try to have an answer and to be able to respond. And so it's, it's always a sharpening experience wow. for me. We want to say, first and foremost, that God is a God of wholeness, healing, and redemption. And if you're out there and you've had an abortion, there is healing and forgiveness. We don't come from a place of condemnation at all. We just want to empower people with knowledge and let them know if they are contemplating that there are options. And on that note, with uh, the model, you say more factivism. Uh, do you see or sense that people generally, I guess it might be an unfair question, do people respond to facts these days? They do, but it, it is still in how it's presented. You know, as singers, you understand, you can have a whole, you can have a, a whole line of singers mm -hmm. who can, you know, deliver a song. And then you can have people who can sing, who <laughs> deliver a song right. like the both of you. And it's different. There, and the same way, you can have someone just rattle off a bunch of statistics and you can have people snoring and I'm, I'm out of here. But right. I, there's just a way that I think that 
that's that whole fusing the emotional with the evidential, mm, yeah. the storytelling part of it, the visual representation. I, you know, I hate being bored. And so when I do these multimedia talks, there are videos intertwined in this and just the way everything is designed. At, two of the students last night at a college that I spoke at in, in Pennsylvania, in Pittsburgh, were saying, I, I couldn't wait for the next slide. I mean, how many students talk about that? They're yeah. so used to, you know, seeing a professor's PowerPoint with the blue screen. Uh. And he said, I couldn't wait for the next slide. I couldn't wait to, mm, to hear what you're going to say. And so it really is you know, presenting factivism in a way that's really engaging yeah. and, and also showing and not dismissing the other side in, in the sense that you don't write everybody off. Um, you're still, for instance, I'll, I'll embrace those who are involved in the Black Lives Matter movement, for instance, saying that I know you're perceiving injustice and you feel like this is an avenue to fight that injustice. And I laud that that willingness mm -hmm. to not be apathetic, that willingness to get up and say something is wrong. but Let's look at this movement. Let's look at the particulars of this movement. And so then I educate them about what the movement is and how hostile it is to Christianity and things of that nature. And I, I point out specifics. But people have really reacted positively cool. to the facts and to the statistics. And they'll say afterward, I had no idea. Hmm. I had no idea. Wow. Thank you for, for telling me this, for educating me. So I, that's why I'm just so passionate. I'm a passionate Factivist. Mm -hmm. Give us some of those facts you share. We've listened to a lot of your lectures, but just some of the facts concerning um, abortion, the black community and Black Lives Matter. Um, I know there's there's a partnership, so to speak, between the Black Lives Matter movement and Planned Parenthood, which is amazing when you really think about it. Can you share some of those facts that you share? When you Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Black Lives Matter movement, I call out the leadership in particular because it announced solidarity with the abortion industry. Mm. They announced solidarity with Planned Parenthood. So if you're saying that Black Lives Matter, if there's a, you know, if there's an asterisk and a, a disclaimer, then they really don't matter because if they matter only some of the time and in some places, then they don't really matter. So for instance, some of the statistics with abortion each year or in the last reported year, 2014 is when we have national abortion stats from Guttmacher which interestingly is a research arm of Planned Parenthood. It used to be a research <laughs> arm of Planned Parenthood. So it's kind of like believing, you know, the PR firm inside of uh, Philip Morris company mm -hmm. about tobacco and smoking products. But anyway, yeah, yeah. the, the number of abortions, 259,336 in, in the black community is the leading killer. It outnumbers the top 15 causes of death in the black community combined. Those numbers combined would be 246,122. So when we talk about black lives matter, for instance, let's, let me take you back to 2015, where Black Lives Matter really surged. And in that year, you know, the 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 cry was, "There's an epidemic of police brutality." And I'm not excusing any police officer who abuses his or her authority ever. Anybody who does violence against someone uh, outside of the law, hey, they need to be held accountable. But in that year, there were 258 Black lives killed by police. There were 494 white lives killed by police. And out of all those. 80% of them were armed with a deadly weapon. Just to kind of give you a better understanding of what we're talking about. And now, every life loss is tragic. Yeah. And it's needless. I, I'm not d diminishing that. But you're talking about black among black individuals, 258 killed in that one year. 80% of them armed with a deadly weapon. But Planned Parenthood kills 247 black lives every single day. Hmm. Wow. So you can't tell me that Black Lives Matter and then partner with the leading killer of Black Lives. Mm. Hmm. 
So this is what I, and then if you go to, in fact, a great resource so people understand the Black Lives Matter policy platform with which they released last year, it's m4bl.net. You read through that, and as a Christian, my heart is grieved because one, the, the goal of Black Lives Matter movement is not reconciliation. It's not forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So how you can't move forward. You can't move together in unity if there is not forgiveness and reconciliation. It also, it also celebrates the complete negation of fathers. Fathers have no place, no role whatsoever because it embraces a radical LGBTQ ideology. So there are a number of things that are so hostile to our faith, to biblical truth, and then people will say, well, you can't just throw it all out just because of those things. No, my, my challenge is, why isn't the church leading on these issues of racial justice? Why do we have to embrace a secular movement that is hostile to our faith? We have the cure. We have the remedy. That's so good, Ryan. Uh, man, there's so many where, places I want to go, but let, let's, let me, let's stay here for a second. How, in your view, what would be some of the steps you would recommend for the church to take to lead the way in that discussion, how can we how can we move forward without necessarily connecting to the bad parts of some of these movements that are so influential in our culture? We have to be willing to have conversations. I mean, if you're not even going to engage in dialogue about race when the rest of the world is, in fact, the rest of the world's fixated on it. They talk about it twenty four seven, race every day. If the church isn't willing to have conversations about race, have conversations about the fact that we even use terminology like the black church, why are we even Mm. saying the black church? (laughs) It should just be the church. So there are some fundamental introductory sort of things. Now, there there are churches that I know are engaged on these issues. Uh, As a whole, the church is is lacking, but there are churches that are engaging responsibly. In fact, one of my my churches from a few years ago, amazing church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, New Life uh, Church, they they have been so intentional about this. They and the way that they've been intentional is about forming relationships. If you're not intentional about forming relationship with someone doesn't look like you, then you're gonna have a really hard time understanding who they are and and what they're like. And our church, since its beginning, had always been intentional about that. So that's, I mean, being willing to have the conversations, being willing to engage in in relationships, form relationships. For me, that's an introductory thing. And then being willing to to speak out on these issues from the pulpit. If I hear one more pastor tell me he doesn't talk about social issues from the pulpit, yeah, really? Because because you don't talk about sin. Because social issues are the manifestation of sin, of the the breakdown in our humanity. So if you're not willing to address these things and give people a sound biblical perspective, then how are they supposed to think and react to what they're seeing and hearing? We're not equipping and enabling, when I say we, you know, I'm talking in general about the church. We're not equipping and enabling people to understand the context of these issues, uh, let alone knowing how to bring resolution to them. And if our heart is not the heart of God, which is always reconciliation, yeah, then we're not going to get anywhere on this. Mm. I mean, and the whole thing is if we can't have an act 1726, you know, perspective on race from one blood, we were all created. We are one stinking human race. Mm. If we cannot understand that, 
then we're going to constantly categorize ourselves. We're always going to assume that we know somebody because of the, the beautiful pigmentation of their skin and, and we'll fail each time. And I, I just think if we have more of a God perspective on these issues, um, they wouldn't be issues. Man. And, you know, I, I don't know if would you agree with this, Ryan, that I feel like it's gotten really harder the last five years uh, to have these conversations um, because, like you said, the kind of the secular media, certain uh, certain political groups have sort of weaponized race. And <sighs> and now it's like, you know, I feel like the division has deepened in our culture and then it's even deepened in the church and and you know, basically it's, it's even become hard, difficult for us to talk to friends yeah. <laughs> because they're so, I mean, they're just like bathed in this media and the social media all the time. And they're, they're into this whole idea. And I think some of these organizations that you've mentioned, they've kind of taken in swallowed the whole thing uncritically and it has put them at odds, even with the Bible and with biblical Christianity. So when, with cases like that, how are, how are you guys interacting with people that you feel like have been more influenced by the culture even inside the church and allowed that to divide us over things like race and politics even more so in the past five years than we were before that. It is. And this, you know, this comes down to one of the verses that we emphasize and we have this initiative called be a factivist and trying to engage, you know, young and old. I mean, you don't have to be a particular age to actually want to pursue the truth, know the truth and speak it. But this whole thing, Ephesians 4.14, which to me was so liberating when I, when I first read this verse, it goes, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and every cunning and craftiness of people in their, in their deceitful scheming. This is the whole thing. I mean, another version, the New uh, Living Testament, no, I'm sorry, the New Living Translation says, um, tricked by lies so clever they sound like the truth. Mm-hmm. This is what's happening. I'm like, wait a minute, Bible first foundational. You can't say, well, okay, I can embrace this even though it may not match up. If it's not matching up, you need to throw it out. And the reason why the last five years have been so difficult is because people don't understand that that truth is immutable. You don't have your truth. I don't have my truth. And there isn't their truth. There's simply the truth. And what happens is we see the dangerous consequences of, of not embracing that. And that's why you have so many Christians embracing a secular movement. And whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether, I mean, you just, there, there are so many other possibilities that could fill, you could put in that blank. But if we're not trying to reconcile what it is we are doing or believing with the word, none of it matters. And that's why you'll have these divisions, because what people will do is just discard the only truth that actually will set us free, the only truth that can bring us together as brothers and sisters, the only truth that can reunite families broken uh, and divided because of politics, for instance. And we've probably noticed that the last few years have been a little surreal, just going to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in the end, politics will always be crazy. And the only constant that we have is the word of God. So if we're going to go to these political movements that are godless, what what is the result we're expecting? Hmm. It will always be crazy. Politics is not our salvation, and and I and I do engage in the political world, but that's not our salvation. The Republicans and the Democrats are not going to bring salvation to any individual. That that's way above their pay grade. <laughs> yeah, and, and in the end. 
of course, as Christians, we need to make sure that our faith aligns with our political action, with our voting all the time. We have to make sure there's not a dissonance there. But these last five years, I think, have been crazy because people have been, you know what, Seth, what they've done is they have deified diversity. Mm. Mm. And they, they have in this in this pursuit of wanting to bring unity, what good is unity if it's predicated on a lie? Ooh, ooh, wow. On. So th- this is part of the problem. And, and when race transcends all else, there is a problem and there will continue to be problems. Whew. That just uh, sent shivers down. <laughs> so they deified diversity. diversity. Man, it's so it's so interesting that you say that. And again, I'm not trying to plug anything here, but we, we had worked on this album that we were trying to put out uh, last fall called One Voice. And it was a lot about what? unity. Yeah, man, and it's it's all about unity, and we're still going to put it out um, this spring. But it, so many things happened. I won't give you the details here, but um, it got pushed back and pushed back. And then during that process, like it really felt like God came to Nerve and I, and and we felt so strong that He was saying what you just said, and and it was like it was almost like I want unity, but I want you to wait. I want unity based on truth. And right now, if we bring a message of unity, it's going to be unity that's based on kind of a flimsy, just a, a faulty thing that won't last because it's trying to get people superficially to come together, maybe even around things that I haven't wanted them to come together. Right wow. Now. And so that's that. In essence, wow. we started this podcast as a response to um, feeling like he was calling us to say, man, yes, unity, yes, diversity, but it's got to be grounded in a biblical worldview. Otherwise, it can be a unity that's not good, and it could be a unity that won't last, and it, it could even do more damage, more harm than good. So that what you said, man, just really, really resonated with us for sure. Um, and, it, it, you know, it being Black History Month, so how how do we – how do we, cause, cause I think you've said this too, like you love diversity, your family's diverse. We want to look like heaven, but yeah. Can you speak more to the deification of diversity? Well, part of the problem of, of deifying diversity is that they, they state, they claim that their goal is to erase racism or to challenge or, you know, racism. But the problem is you can't, you can't employ prejudice in order to fight prejudice. And so this is what happens. This whole deification of diversity assumes that just because you're this color, you are this way. For instance, if you're white, you got white privilege. They'll look at people like my mom who grew up in trailer park and had an alcoholic father, but they'll look at her and say, you've got white privilege. Was was it privilege to grow up with an alcoholic abusive uh, uh, father? Was it privilege to grow up without money? Was it privilege to then forego the normal whatever life and and have and bring in you know have three biological children adopt 10 i mean we grew up without any money but we were certainly wealthy in in spirit and wealthy in the more important things but the problem with this whole deification of diversity is it's so superficial the whole thing about being a christian is we understand that we are that we are triune beings that we are deeper than this flesh and when you understand that you you look at people differently. I mean, I don't want you to, you know, we, we live in this culture of tolerance, for instance. I don't want you to tolerate re- me. I want you to love me. Come on, that's good. So right. there's something so much deeper. As Christians, we understand that we we automatically, just by, by the nature of who we are and who we say we are, being Christ-like as we go deeper. Mm. 
And that we're also willing. I mean, the whole forgiveness thing, you know, 70 times seven, let's, let's get onto that. Yeah. So there's, there's something very different about that. There's something very different too, in that you're not looking to get something out of this. These movements, they're looking for political gain. They're looking for political mm-hmm. power. Wow. When I want to reconcile with you, you know what the only thing I want? I want to be able to have a a strong relationship where I love you, you love me, and and we care about one another. I, I don't I, I'm not looking for some sort of monetary or political gain out of this. So it's 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 very different. The problem with this whole superficial sort of let's all be unified, even though it's all just on this flimsy, easily breakable stuff. Um, I want something that's lasting. Mm. I want you know, and I don't want you to look at me and and assume you know anything about me. I want you to actually take the effort. Wow. Talk to me. Let's let's engage one another so that you can know me. And so I, I think honestly, if that for me is this that has to be the starting point we have to want to know we have to have that desire to want to know someone instead of writing off entire groups of people pretending like we know something about them Hmm. that to me is the the continued destruction and the continued division that happens whether you're talking about the world that's lost outside or the christian folk who sometimes are equally as lost oh my gosh that's so good that's really good. We we actually have a, a podcast coming out very soon where we interviewed a guy named Neil Shinvi who talks about critical theory, and he mentioned sort of what you just did, Ryan. That the tenant, the the move right now in our culture is to define people primarily as in a collectivist sense. So you you define them by their external features such as race, gender, class, and and you draw all these conclusions based on that and you stick them in, in a hard way in that category as opposed to judging the person by the individual. And what you're saying I think is right in line with like Martin Luther King, uh, Frederick Douglass, you know, some of the great heroes of this nation that really understood um, – kind of that biblical view of, of our primary responsibility and identity is grounded in who we are as individuals, even though we are part of a group and that matters as well. But it's a matter of emphasis, I think. Um, you wrote a book actually called Not Equal, Civil Rights Gone Wrong. Can you can you maybe talk a little bit about the, the central theme of that book and how it relates to what you just said? Yeah, this book was actually inspired by um, being sued by the NAACP oh, of wow. all organizations. Ah. I mean, come on people, brown guy being sued by the nation's leading civil rights organization because I exercised one of my, my, my most basic civil rights, you know, free speech. Wow. So insane. So what I, what I began to learn as we, and the reason why, by the way, I wrote an article about the NAACP and I called the title of the article, the National Association for the abortion of colored people. So, yeah, they, well, they didn't like it. <laughs> I think that's how they reacted. Yeah. <laughs> I think you threw a rock in a hornet's nest. <laughs> <laughs> kind of oh, and this amazing. is, I mean, this is an organization I grew up Brave. revering and loving, but this book yeah. was really born out of understanding that the civil rights movement mm-hmm. really transformed in an industry and it was hijacked on all these issues. I mean, of all the organizations that should be on the side of the most disenfranchised, the most powerless, the most marginalized, which are the unborn, mm. I would have thought that the NAACP would have been on that side. But when we we launched a billboard in the um, San Francisco Bay Area, Oakland Bay Area, you know, really conservative area there. Mm. And we, yeah. not exactly. Right. <laughs> so we placed billboards that said yeah. black and beautiful 
too many aborted.com. We talked about fatherlessness in the black community. We talked about resources that are available. We talked about how women as resilient and strong as they are, they were never meant to be both mother and father. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this culture of death that abortion brings on and the exploitation. I mean, you're, This book, I can't even talk about this book without talking about the fact that more black babies are are aborted than born alive in the city that birthed Planned Parenthood, New York City. Mm -hmm. So all these things combined, I started looking at, you know, some of these civil rights organizations and realizing they're on the wrong side of things. So that's why I say, you know, not equal civil rights gone wrong. And it really just exposes a lot of the, the propaganda put out there by by today's really uh, bought out civil rights industry. It calls out Planned Parenthood. It calls out NAACP, National Urban League. And it also is, it's life affirming and it's hope filled. Of course, I talk about adoption and I talk about the, the strength of women, the, the courage uh, of many who, who, who refuse the violence of abortion and of the men who actually do step up and act like men and, and fulfill their role as fathers. And so there's a lot to this book. It's, it's got a lot of design in it, as well as the, the articles that I've written about this. But it's my heart to, to just kind of pull back the curtain on some of this so that Christians can understand. Well, Christian, whoever, this is not just for Christians, this is for anybody, that they can understand the context of a lot of these issues that our society is facing. And because you're not going to get it from mainstream media. They're not getting it from public schools. They're not getting it from Hollywood. They're not getting it from the music industry. And they're certainly not getting it, unfortunately, most times, even from our churches. Hmm. So someone's going has to expose these things. And so that's that was really my heart in putting out this book. Wow. Why have some of those organizations come in alignment or partnered with Planned Parenthood? Do you, do you know why? Ignorance. And I don't mean that in a malevolent way. I don't mean ignorance, you know, it's just the lack of awareness. There are a lot of those who align themselves with Planned Parenthood and know nothing about Planned Parenthood. And they, they believe the lie of not only the organization, but the stuff that, that mainstream media, which, you know, I, I, I do call the fake news establishment because they refuse to do their job. They, they value advocacy over accuracy mm. and opinion over objectivity. They have abdicated their role as journalists. And that's why. But then you have others who know full well that what Planned Parenthood does. They know that in the last year, they killed 332,757 human beings. They know this and they don't care because they then twist words of scripture to somehow pretend that God supports the shedding of innocent blood. And I do recall him being very clear about (laughs) hating the shedding of innocent blood. So there's a mixture There are those who just simply don't know and they've been duped, but then there are those who in a malicious way align themselves with an organization that destroys the image of God millions of times. I applaud your holistic approach to this matter because it talks about family, the importance of fathers, mothers, life, and um, just the whole awareness of just beware of this godless, truthless um, agenda and approach to diversity and, and just rights without any facts or information. So just my hats off to you and your wife on that. That's just huge. And, and we just, we love what God's called us to do. And as you know, in ministry, it's not, a, it's not a cakewalk. Mm-hmm. There's, 
there's exhaustion. Some days I want to quit and she doesn't want to quit. And the other day she wants to quit. Right. I don't want to quit. Right. So yeah. we, you know, we just don't quit on the same day. So we're good. <laughs> but, um, yes. it, it's not easy. And, and even just this whole lawsuit I mentioned with NAACP, that was a two year battle in oh federal court, but we prevailed. Alliance Amen. Defending Freedom represented us wow. and we prevailed. God prevailed. And so that's why when I go back to that song, we will not back down. We will not be shaken. Oh my gosh. Hearing that song was just such affirmation mm, no and people need to hear this it, the world's trying to scare us in so many ways whether it's a lawsuit or whether it's a neighbor who gets on your ever-loving nerves or whether it's a political movement that wants to demonize you for whatever reason we have the truth we have the remedy and when we go and you know crawl into a corner and, and cringe in fear we we miss that opportunity that God's laying out for us to play a role in human triumph, to play a role in someone being set free. I just want to sneak in a question here because I was I was browsing your website and uh, maybe this is the same track, maybe it's a little different, but you wrote an article about the Gillette ad that recently came out um, talking about masculinity and stuff like that. And then uh, you have... Uh, an image here it says when you buy this you help fund toxic feminism and it's a picture of a Gillette razor can you talk a little bit about kind of what hit you when you saw that ad and the and the angle you took to address it oh well it's amazing because it's all this virtue sing- sig- signaling from corporations who i mean Gillette i mean this is the same company by the way that you know, sexually exploits women all the time. And the fact they had this sort of promo team of women dressed in skin tight blue outfits that had Gillette written in large letters across their backsides. But you know, they're, they want to call out toxic masculinity, but Mm. this is what they do all the time. And yet in this, they're, I mean, they're, they're repeating some of the rhetoric from the me too movement. Now don't get me wrong. Anyone who exploits assaults, harms, violates any other person, whether male or female, 100% wrong. And they should be called out and held accountable for that. But this is so much more than that because it's the continued attack on men and on boys. I I have two boys and two girls. In order to elevate my two precious daughters, they're my princess warriors, I don't have to demean and put down my boys. Hmm. We We can elevate all of them, both of them at the same time, but that's not what this is about. This is about saying, you know, men stop being men. And this is what happens. Abortion is the perfect example of men not being men. Hmm. 86% of women who have abortions are unmarried. Mm. There Uh are, there's an abandonment issue here that that's toxic masculinity. Mm. To me, toxic masculinity is when men do nothing when innocent humans are are harmed. Wow. So this article to me and this company, Procter and Gamble, which gives millions and millions of dollars to Planned Parenthood. Um, don't talk to me about toxic masculinity. That to me is toxic. The existence of Planned Parenthood is toxic masculinity. By the way, most abortionists are male. Hmm. That's toxic masculinity. Wow. <laughs> seven That's men okay. who, yeah, seven men who brought us Roe v. Wade. Because mm-hmm. they're always talking about patriarchy and they want to bring down oh, the patriarchy. Well, it was seven men in black robes who brought us Roe v. Wade. So they don't have a problem with that, though. Mm. Hmm. And don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late, brother. I think it's too late. I know. <laughs> right. You, man, you're giving us some food for thought. Can we, can we uh, take a break here and come back and catch you for, a, for, for some follow-ups here? Absolutely. Awesome. Let's do it. 
Listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode with special guest Ryan Bomberger. We actually have a part two episode where we talk to Ryan again, and that'll be coming next week. But for now, we'd love if you could follow us on Instagram, Twitter, on Facebook, Freemind FM. You can send us questions for the podcast, maybe even special guest suggestions. You can even email us at podcast at freemind.fm. And if you have a moment, we'd love if you could give us a five-star rating in the iTunes and Apple Podcast Store that helps us be discovered by other people as they search for these topics. Thanks for listening. A